0: Hello, welcome to Single-Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. For today's episode, I spoke with Robin Kanner, a Brooklyn-based writer and designer. I first met Robin last month at a live taping of Dylan Maron's podcast, Conversations with People Who Hate Me, that she did with Katie Herzog, a friend of mine and former guest of the podcast. The subject of the episode they recorded on stage was online shaming and dehumanization. Robin had called Katie trash on Twitter in response to Katie's article in The Stranger about detransitioners. The show ended up being much deeper and more interesting than just the two of them going on stage together and showing the world they didn't hate each other. Robin's story of how she came to be an angry person online is a complicated one that has a lot to do with mental health and addiction problems, and she's written quite movingly about what she's been through in outlets like Wired and Broadly. Robin herself was subjected to some online anger after she wrote a New York Times column arguing against cancel culture in general. She responded in a pretty gutsy way she put her phone number in her twitter profile and basically said to her critics hey let's talk what happened next was pretty interesting and i'll leave it at that at the risk of spoiling my own podcast i should add that robin wrote one of the critical responses to my atlantic article about youth gender dysphoria last summer i'll link to her article in the show notes but we didn't end up talking about this subject for various reasons though we left the door open to doing so at a later date just to be clear about this i think it'd be great to have a critic of my work on the subject on the podcast at some point whether it's Robin or someone else, and I'm looking at possibilities on that front because I'd I'd like that to happen. That's more or less all the context you need. I'll throw a bunch of links into the show notes. Robin and I are both NBA fans, so after the music break, we mostly just talk about basketball rather than the weightier subjects we grapple with during the first part of the podcast. Also, I profusely apologize in advance for my very embarrassing emo reference. Remember that you can always send me feedback at singleminded at gmail.com. Please, please, please rate and subscribe and everything else on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or whatever other podcatcher you use. Please subscribe to my newsletter, jessysingle.substack.com, where you'll find a lot more content in this general vein. Also, I went on a very weird but strangely endearing podcast called Girls Chat. I think the host could be best described as leftists who have given up on absolutely everything but have a sense of humor about it. It was a two-hour show that dropped this week pretty weird chat pretty fixated on online culture but i bet a few of you are into that sort of thing so so you might want to check it out i'll put a link again in the show notes or if you just google my name and girls chat i promise you won't get anything weird you'll you'll just get that podcast that's it i hope you enjoy my conversation with robin canner thank you as always for listening actually i'm gonna take a sip too while i come
1: <sighs> so good water
0: water's is so good
1: so water is incredible I totally gets slept on
0: this podcast is brought to you by tap water
1: with ice (laughs) now with ice now with ice
0: I feel like uh, social media can interact in really unhealthy ways with people who are struggling with sort of mental health and, and addiction issues. That's something that came up a little bit in your the live taping you did with Katie Herzog. Can we just talk about that for a minute?
1: Sure, of course. Uh, it's sort of everything when you think about just the past couple years of my life. I think the, the last year that I was sort of drinking and whatever... Uh, I was mad online. And when I stopped, I definitely stopped being a little less mad and well, 100% less mad. And that was sort of the conversation with Katie Herzog. It was just sort of about how uh, I would just prefer not to be so not angry online, but literally angry in my life all the time. Like, it's pretty nice being able to sleep at night. But there's a very specific
0: like, I feel like for listeners who aren't as online obsessive as the way we are. Mad online, like capital M, capital O is a very specific kind of mad, right?
1: Right. A hundred percent. And it's a it's a mad online that I don't I don't necessarily want to um go back to. I mean it's super it's super weird to me when I see it now because it feels so foreign to me when I see people be angry online, but I know it's still a reality for a lot of people.
0: Then how what what is mad online? Is it just sort of like looking it's for stuff internet. to piss you off?
1: Yeah. yeah well it's not really looking for stuff to piss you off it's i think it's less conscious than that i think it's maybe more so uh, subconscious i think for a lot of people in their lives who are online this is me included there is this feeling that you're left out and the internet is sort of especially twitter and it's not a dig on twitter this is sort of a dig on human development in the sense that we want to feel validated as people and the internet is very powerful to validate. Um, and I think that sort of pattern is, is why we have capital Matt online.
0: Why can't it be a dig at Twitter though? Twitter is built to elicit strong emotions and, and anger is sort of the most viral emotion of all, right?
1: Well, I don't know if we can, we can say it on Twitter is built well, like that. I think you can say communities within Twitter are built to do that. I, I, as a person who, used to call out twitter a lot for things i didn't like i think it's a little short-sighted to not see our part of the the problem in that you know the communities that uh, thrive on the internet i mean it's all engagement based and yeah you could say it's part of the platform with likes and retweets but it's also part of the community standards or the social norms of the internet that sort of rewards that. Um, so it, it, for me it is kind of Twitter, but it's hard to give the blame on the platform a hundred percent. You got to call it the community a little bit too.
0: Yeah. I was, um, I was talking to an editor of mine and I I've been taking a break from a few days for a few days sure. entirely from Twitter. And he was yeah. basically saying, you know uh, like me, he's a psychologist. Uh, psychology writer and editor he's saying like there are these there's these good parts of twitter
1: these these communities where
0: people aren't mad where you can find good stuff so you're saying
1: wait Wait, do you consider yourself a psychology writer this is new information
0: yeah well my main beat is like behavioral science basically Uh, okay
1: okay Okay. cool
0: and i I mean there are these like islands on twitter that aren't dysfunctional where they just like pass around and debate interesting research papers. so is it just about finding a community that isn't psychotic
1: uh no, I don't think it's that at all. Um, I think any community in a platform within that uh, existence is open to be picked on. So I I, I would not suggest building a, a subculture on Twitter um, and expecting it to be private because it's just the very nature against that. If you I mean if you want to enjoy a conversation, you can walk outside your door and have a conversation with pretty much anybody in the world. So I think, I personally in the last couple years of my life enjoyed going outside and talking to people and it's kind of a nice break from just the internet But
0: so you think people are sort of mistaking twitter for a place you can have actual
1: conversations when it isn't i think they're mistaking twitter for the therapist (laughs) (laughs) and and that's not i mean i did that too but uh you know you're not going to be able to solve your life's problems on twitter you're going to have to do that in real life, with real people, and have that conversation. Uh, you can find community on Twitter for sure, but I don't think you can solve your. I could, at least I could not solve my life's problems on on Twitter.
0: In the in the moment when you when you were into that, what problems did it feel like maybe it could solve?
1: Validation. It was a hundred percent validation. I think that's very common for the the rest of the the world. You know, somewhere along, along the way, Twitter was a place that made us less lonely. It was the thing that connected us to the world. It was the thing that. Uh, If you were at home and it was Christmas vacation and you didn't want to talk to your parents, you could talk online and people would connect with you and it would make you feel more alive and more vibrant, more part of the conversation. And somewhere, somewhere along the way, the more we built social tools, the less we got really social. And that is something worth examining in a lot of ways. Yeah, for me, I mean, for me as a human being, it was just sort of this idea that the thing that sort of saved me from my loneliness became the thing that made me so lonely. And it was sort of this social end of times thing where, you know, I'd go outside and have, have a conversation with a real person and realize that there was no internet between us. We, you know, we were just really people. And I mean, that was just so much of a nicer, more human way to talk. You know, especially when we, when we think about Twitter, you're really, you really have a chance to, to examine, you know, 280 characters of words and find the one that you don't like. Whereas listening to this podcast, I might have said something that you didn't like one minute ago, but because the words are moving so fast, you've already forgotten it. You don't have the chance to really sit with the words in that way. Um, so, I mean, maybe in that sense, it's it's sort of on Twitter of the problem, but. Well, it's also it's, yeah. it's
0: interesting to think about, like, because if we in this podcast, if we had an audience of 500 and they were sure. rowdy and one of us made a point, someone like if you made a point I disagree with. Right. I could just sort of smooth that over, move on to the next thing. But there are 500 people like, fuck you. How could right. you say yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. It just, of course.
1: Um, it's, it's literally wrestling. Like, it's yeah. like, it, you know, in a very like postmodern, poststructuralist theory kind of way, it's it's uh, it's, a, it's a it's a basketball game. It's really funny. I went to a, I went to a Knicks game. I, I know we're going to talk about basketball later, but this is such a, a good moment for this. Uh, I went to a Knicks game a couple of months ago. Wait, I, I
0: have a joke. Could you just say I went to a Knicks game and then pause?
1: Of course, hold on one second. <clears throat> Let me clear my throat. <clears> throat. I went to a Knicks game.
0: I'm sorry to hear that. Are you okay?
1: Uh, well, you know, they lost by like 40.
0: Okay. Good.
1: So I went to this Knicks game and they were playing the Jazz. And do you know Grayson Allen? Yeah. Everyone I, hates
0: him. He's like I little cannot stand
1: guy. Grayson Allen. Like I just, and uh, the, my seats were right next to his bench. And he, you know, he rode the bench most of the time because he's a rookie and that's what you do. Uh, but when he did go in... I yelled this line in the stands, just like, don't trip anybody. (laughs) Because that's what he did in the NCAA. And I in in that moment I realized I was just like, oh, I'm kind of recreating Twitter in a weird way. Like this is this is the thing that I would add him was like, don't trip anyone when you're on court because he was, you know, it's all he did as a player. And I thought that like a a professional sporting was like the place to be like, hey, Grayson Allen, don't trip anyone. But then I did it and I felt so bad. And, like, next to, like, a bunch of Knicks players and, like, fans, I was just like, oh, I feel so bad that I did that. Uh, even though I know that I don't like the guy. So, uh, being having, a person is ha- very strange.
0: Having been to Patriots games for decades, that is probably the nicest thing someone would
1: have I know. It's like... It's, Not even that mean. It, well, it was, like, the first... I mean, when I stopped being an an angry person I really sort of put the hard line down so it was the first time that I'd shouted like even like a a remotely negative connotation to a person in a minute and because it was in real life I I just felt worse (laughs) it was very strange it it didn't make me feel good at all
0: you should make it up to him you should go to another game where he's playing and yell right hey Grayson and they will be like what and you'll be like good luck out there
1: good luck out there you can trip somebody if you want I mean I don't want you to but good luck if you, you know
0: was there like a specific moment when you realized the angry online thing wasn't working for you like what was the conversion moment
1: uh conversion moment man that sounds so deep I I mean it wasn't like a therapeutic thing for me I uh, for me it was I I got sober which to me is sort of this very strong line of uh good Robin and bad Robin I got sober last summer and I was I mean at the point in which I was getting sober I was definitely like the fun of the anger had stopped but I was still kind of doing it in a weird way, and but for me, I mean, July seventeenth, two thousand eighteen, is like the day that I sort of recognize that I don't have all the answers and I'm not necessarily um, a perfect person. So that that day was really the the moment that I deleted everything that I'd ever done on the internet and just sort of started over um, and got help.
0: You're still on Twitter. Like, how do you? Ma- my my issue is, I try to stay off it, then I go online and like. Either I feel the bad habits coming back or I just sort of mm. feel like crap. H- how do you stay on there without uh, reverting into being mad online?
1: I am, uh, I am still mad online occasionally, but I, I just usually keep it to myself. Uh, when I got sober, my sponsor gave me this sentence, and I, uh, I write this sentence a lot. It's a fill-in-the-blank, and it just literally says, I have resentment at whatever that thing is, because I fear that something will happen. So if I see a bad tweet that I hate, I'll literally sit and write in my notebook while I have resentment at this tweet because I fear that it means that I'm less of a human or I I feel that, or I fear that it attacks my supposed community or I fear that it hurts somebody else. Uh, So I do that a a lot and it's just this weird diary entry of uh, pathetic replies, (laughs) basically.
0: I know you're being self-deprecating, but I I think what makes it not pathetic is instead of responding to it by making the world a more hostile place, you're just sort of sitting with it. I mean, like, there's this yeah. whole, um, it's almost like a mindfulness thing. Like you
1: just sure hundred percent.
0: I'm yeah. feeling this, and that's okay, right?
1: Yeah, and I think it, it, for me, it's more powerful to know why I'm feeling it than at, at least in this point of my life, it's more powerful to know why I'm feeling it than to make someone else feel bad or hurt somebody else. But I mean, I've also been on the other side of being yelled at online now. So I think I'm more conscious of how that feels like too.
0: Right. You got, uh, would it be safe to say partially canceled for coming out partially against cancellation? Right. Well, no, I
1: came out, I came out 100% oh, not let's give it 99% just in case there's that 1% that is good. Uh I came out against cancel culture uh defining it as uh bad for culture. And it's tough to say that I got canceled for it because there was a lot of people who enjoyed it. So for as many people who did who were angry about it, there was also people who enjoyed the piece. Uh so it's hard to say I was 100% or partially canceled but I can say I lost friends. The basic
0: response to the piece was that, uh, which I, I thought was great, and I'll link to it in the show notes, Thanks. but people were mad that you weren't pro-cancellation enough. You were saying, all right. oh, this cancellation is a bad thing, right?
1: Right. Yeah. I, I, I basically talked about a, a very unique, not unique, actually, it's pretty similar, but I, I talked about a situation in which a person was getting um, scolded at for their views as a teenager, and I felt personally that... Uh, i didn't have my politics down at 17 and i wrote about the things that i did which was campaigning for george w bush and how i grew as a person and this is not to say people who campaigned for george w bush they're all bad people they're not but i personally grew as a person and this person who's getting yelled at online should have the chance to grow too and and that for sure elicited a strong reaction
0: that's what i find so weird about this is um again I'll I'll link to this so people can read the column. but this is basically sure. about a 16 or 17 year old kid in uh ma uh Wisconsin right
1: yeah west bend Wisconsin
0: and and I'll see grown ass adults on twitter some of them in media academia if someone like raises a finger to say maybe lay off the somewhat ill-informed 17 year old the response sure. you'll get responses like oh so you're defending him right It's like we're talking we're talking about a kid, about a kid right now
1: yeah. yeah and you know i when something like that happens there's a, the really strong re-examination of of life that i sort of went under and part of it was examining the actual comments that were coming in filtering the anger out like putting the anger in one category and then putting the actual facts in the other category uh and just sort of listening to people and sort of months after that piece has come out now I really don't feel bad for a word I wrote. I, I feel pretty strong about the words that I wrote because in pertaining to the story that I was writing, it, it was it was all real. I mean, there's no there's nothing fake in that in that piece. I, I, I truly believe that the kids should have the chance to grow as I did as a person and as any other person, no matter, you know, what your life is, you should have the chance to grow, pending that you don't have systemic big issues. Um, right. Yeah.
0: I, I feel like one unique characteristic of a, lot of, of a lot of this online stuff is like after the people who are mad at you make your case if you then refuse to apologize if you then stand by what you wrote I feel like that makes them even matter. sometimes it's like there's sure. a, a ritual you're supposed to participate in
1: yeah there is a ritual and uh I had a lot of people in my life sort of be like well you you made a mistake and I forgive you for this mistake and <laughs> I like, had to I had to be like I, I didn't make a mistake <laughs> I don't know what you what you thought the mistake was I wouldn't have put it in the New York times if I had thought I would made a mistake. I, I pretty much examined those words top to bottom. So yeah, I mean, that was a, a very interesting bit of it, but even to now, I mean, I'm sure there are going to be people in my life and people who don't know me who are going to be very angry that I'm doing this conversation with you. But I, I think it's interesting. So here we are.
0: Yeah. You just, at some point in the conversation, you just need to, you need to cancel me during this podcast so that that, yeah, well, again, I mean, I already goes
1: viral. I I technically did that already, so <laughs> this is <laughs> true. This is, I mean, this would be a part two, and I'm I'm not that kind of person to hold on a grudge. <laughs> so, what what prompted you? I what
0: I thought was pretty gutsy was you posted your phone number, and you're basically like, if you're mad about yeah. you this article, call me, right?
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. And uh, the the interesting thing about that is nobody called. Who, I, I mean, everybody called, but they weren't angry when they called. I mean. I I had my number sitting in my bio for a couple weeks before I tweeted it out, and this was like when the the you know 10,000 people are yelling at me, and I didn't get a call. I mean, for two weeks it just laid there, and I was looking at my phone like I I can't believe nobody is calling me. And then when I finally tweeted out the number, I was prepped like I had a notebook. I had like I was like ready to to have the conversation anybody wanted to have because it it felt like a lot of the anger was about other voices not being heard, and I you know I was there to hear them. And the first call that I got was this librarian in the East Coast who wanted to talk about them in her life. And I I was totally caught off guard. I was like, sure, well, we can talk about that. But is that all you're here to call for? And she was like, yeah. I was like, okay. So, I mean, we ended up having this glorious 20-minute conversation. And since then, I've taken about, I don't know, maybe 100 calls at this point. Yeah, and, and they all, I mean, other than one, one person called me an idiot and then hung up very quickly, but I, I was like literally in the middle of watching a movie. So it was just like, pause movie, hello, you're an idiot, okay, hang up, back to the movie. So it didn't really affect me that much. But the rest of the calls have been really beautiful.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the things I really liked about that, the Wired article, is it it was only eight months or so, but I worked for a suicide hotline in Boston. I yeah, volunteered yeah. for one. sure. And I think you're when you show up at orientation for something like that, I think a lot of sure. people are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be like talking people off the ledges of buildings. Yeah, that's not what you do. No, they disabuse you of that so quickly. They're like, sure. most people just want to talk. And I think um, until you're in that seat or until you do something like you did, the, the there's a heartbreaking quantity of just loneliness and need to sure. connect that's like very sure. much unmet, I feel like.
1: Yeah, it is. And I mean, I have, I volunteered at two suicide hotlines before and going through the orientation, yeah, I mean, there's specific guides of what you should and shouldn't do on on those calls. Um, It's been interesting because I'm part of the people who have called the hotline and I'm part of the people who have taken that phone call and sort of talked people down. And a big thing that I do when I'm on those calls is just sort of hear people and talk to them. And just being on the phone in the past few months with this experience sometimes I end up having two-hour conversations with people and it's very beautiful other times I I'm asleep and I or I'm at work and I I don't see what's going on and I see like a five-minute voicemail and it's really somebody just trying to talk about their lives like I just went through a breakup whatever the thing is, I'm having a hard time with drinking, Like whatever whatever their problem is. And just the ability for them to leave that voicemail, I can hear from the beginning of the message to the end of the message, uh, their voice have this little sigh of relief. So I think as people, as people we used to go to the internet to get this sigh of relief and and I'm thinking of Reddit, I'm thinking of Twitter, I'm thinking of uh, Tumblr, I'm thinking of places like that where you really got that sigh of relief there. But now I think there is sort of this turn of the way where people need to have real conversations with other people and and realize that it's hard to be a human being and that it's okay to talk about it being hard to be a human being. Yeah.
0: I mean, not yeah. to be like a a human psychology nerd, but I, sure. part, of, part of me just feels like I, I think well-structured websites or, or websites with good communities could always... Sure fulfill some of that need but there is like we're we're evolved to hear other people's voices and to communicate their voice right
1: yeah 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 i mean that's the the best part of life is being able to hear somebody out and have the conversation I, i mentioned this earlier in the podcast but that little bit of how you know a word is sort of there forever for you to analyze it so if you see a tweet that you don't like but you sort of go on if you keep seeing that tweet as a, a retweet or a favor or something like that and it keeps popping up your timeline, that thing that didn't bother you has now bothered you extremely and it could be the circumstances of uh, you're waiting for your food to come and it's been slow so you're getting angrier or you're waiting in a line, whatever the thing is. Like The circumstances of your surrounding have changed and you've decided that you're mad about it. Uh, the good thing about a phone call and the good thing about even this voice right here between us is the word is gone. Like Once you see the word, the word is gone and that's kind of beautiful. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's great.
0: Something about the like It's not it's not quite fleeting, but you're saying you don't have stuff you don't you don't have like bad stuff thrown at you over and over and over until it elicits a reaction out of you almost.
1: For sure, exactly.
0: When you were calling those hotlines a lot, what what was that experience like? What was it what was it doing for you? Like how is it helping I don't know, keep a part of you alive sort of.
1: You know, I don't, I can't say I remember a lot of the calls that I had with people because I don't. But the ones I do remember having, I remember them just being a human voice. I mean, I wrote about this in my piece for Broadly, but uh, pretty much like right before I got sober, I was on this phone call with a woman who was just talking about like the fruit that she wanted to pick up at her market. And my life had gotten so far away from fresh fruit. (laughs) Like that was the (laughs) last thing that I'd cared about that moment was strawberries. But here she is like sort of talking about strawberries. And I thought that was just so lovely. And when I think about my entire experience on those lines, it was talking to people who had something figured out that I didn't have figured out, but I sort of refused, at least my ego refused to hear them or follow their life advice or anything. Uh, And then when I got sober, it was like, you know, talking with somebody who, is Eon smarter than me about mental health just sort of caught me in my ego and pulled it down and I was able to have like a real beautiful moment. And anytime you can get something that helps you move forward, I think is a really great thing. And, and for me moving forward was going back to the basics of fresh fruit.
0: I like the idea that we all exist on some sort of spectrum with like fresh fruit on one end.
1: Yeah. The opposite I mean, of fresh you... fruit on the other. <laughs> If you care about fresh fruit, you probably don't have a lot of problems in your life. <laughs> you're, you're probably doing okay. Uh, so, yeah, for me, even now, I have strawberries in my fridge, and it, it's nice. Uh, so, yeah, those small little human things, I think, are just so important.
0: I was going to say, I feel like like one proxy for sort of how uh, how well I'm doing is how often I go to this like Korean fruit market up on near where I ran into once, mm. actually, up on Fulton. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the more often you make those little trips just to, like, buy stuff for the next couple days, I feel like... The yeah,
1: totally, totally. And you get to have the, you know... Every time I go into my grocery store, uh, my block, I have this conversation with this guy who works there. And, I mean, the guy really loves peanut butter. And one time I was buying peanut butter while I was in there. So he started talking to me about peanut butter. And now every time that I go in there, we have this, like, nice conversation about what we ate with peanut butter. And <laughs> it's so, so stupid, but so human and so real. And I'll tell you, when I was getting like yelled at online. One of the first things that I did was went and talked to the guy about peanut butter. You <laughs> didn't care about the internet. And right. you know, that was that was kind of wonderful. The
0: other side of that is like I'll I've had times where I've gotten into some sort of dumb argument with someone and then I'll look at their um I'll look at their profile. And it's like some twenty year old kid in Ohio right who's listed his mental illnesses in his profile and is right. clearly struggling. And it's just like True. What a what a dehumanizing machine this is. That this is my right. interaction with someone like that. Right. He's going through shit I couldn't possibly imagine.
1: For sure, for sure. And I mean, it's tough. I, uh, it's. I mean, I do my best to not do it anymore. And that doesn't mean that I I don't do it. But I I really do strong ways. But even now, sitting here, like I could be like Jesse. I know you shit on my friend once. How dare you? But I don't. I just don't have a desire to do that. I'd rather have this conversation. And that to me feels way more better. I mean I walk away feeling better cuz I know I probably shit on somebody in your life and just the ability to let that go uh, I think is is part of moving forward. Well, to me it's it's it
0: has to do with public versus private, right? Cuz like right. there's various like journalists and people I have dumb I've had dumb online interactions with. Mm. What I've what I've started trying to do is just like emailing either offering publicly to have some sort of private conversation with them sure. or emailing them and right. It's sort of, I don't know. It's like they don't they don't owe me any conversation. But if you're so sure that there should be some sort of conflict between us or that I did something wrong, right? Wouldn't it make things better on net if we discussed that privately and tried to figure out what's going on?
1: Sure. Yeah. But the, the thing about that, I, I alluded to this in my Wired piece. But there is a reward for being angry and And that reward is engagement. I, I can right. tell you right now, my engagement has dropped dramatically since I stopped being mad online. Uh, but I, I don't care. I mean, I'd rather get fresh fruit and care about that than whether somebody's following me or not. so the the priority shift, I think when when you let that when you let that go or sort of stop yelling at that twenty year old in Ohio and start, wow, I almost made a real world pun there. When you stop being mad online you start being real, here's just the internet. <laughs>
0: This uh is what ha- this, is what this, is, this is
1: what happens yeah not you know but i mean, even real world road rules i mean that went from like a, a technically real tv show to like a scripted thing so everything changes who knew we were going to talk about real world road rules here
0: i used to love um oh man this is yeah i'm just thinking back to like circa 2000 like seattle real for world.
1: sure a hundred
0: percent yeah it, it gave me a very like unrealistic view of what it meant to like be in your early twenties. Cause that's just sure.
1: <laughs> and nothing, nothing was ever good as that. Even when I was at those sort of parties or nothing was ever. No. Yeah.
0: It's sort of, I mean, it's a whole other thing, but I, um, they idealize all this young adult stuff. And I think that sure. screws people up because you get to these different situations. Like, yeah, it's going to be this, it's going to be super fun. All the sure. social interactions going to be easy. Sex and romance are going to be easy. It was just like, i like i like i guess like depictions of that that reveal that it can be complicated
1: totally or it could be boring i mean one of the the big things about those shows and any show now that's on tv is stuff has to be happening like this like this like this like this uh i mean i I consider myself a little probably as a as an quote-unquote artist and i feel weird using that word but i don't know many artists and now in 2019, who are allowed to take a few years off. Uh, but in every artist back then, I mean, there was that boring time. And there was that time you didn't do anything. There was that time that you just sort of spent time with yourself. We don't really have it anymore. I'm thinking particularly of like when, when John Lennon went out west and uh, had the Lost Weekend. Nobody's really allowed to have a Lost Weekend anymore.
0: It's really depressing. And I, I will Ooh. also, I think what worries me more is like I... I'm working on a book, and in theory, I could spend two or Wait, three. Wait, you're hours. working on a book? What's
1: your book? <laughs> Get the yeah. exclusive here. What's
0: the exclusive? What's it's the book? not. It's not a secret. It's in my Twitter bio. It's about okay. sort of why we believe these shoddy TED talky ideas about behavioral science oh, and like that they're going to fix the world and fix racism, fix okay. inequality okay. and stuff. But I think what worries me is like I'm in a lucky position where I I could, if I wanted, at the moment, spend a couple hours a day like reading for fun and reading a novel and just this is such a cliche thing to say at this point but the extent to which my attention span is shot and that i just find myself like clicking around online like i yeah i'm becoming like a little bit of a luddite or technophobe. like i think this stuff affects us do you meditate at all i've tried to get into it 12 times but okay i I take it do, do you
1: yeah i meditate daily and it works uh i it was a hard start but once i got into it, it worked really well Uh although i think if you yeah. ask
0: if it works in a binary way that probably means you're not in the proper sure mindset.
1: so if, sure. it should work it got tangible yeah, results yeah. right but- yeah well i mean for me when i say does it work i mean did something that usually would irritate me did not irritate me throughout the day and if that <laughs> you know that to me is it working uh i, I i've talked about this a little bit before in other conversations with other people but uh for me, I know when something's wrong when I can't fall asleep at night. like that's sort of the, the line that I know something is deeply wrong is when I cannot just lay in bed and fall asleep. Uh, it's usually a sign that I'm not spiritually fit or calm or anything like that. So meditation and, and doing that practice that helps me fall asleep at night, which is really is like the most important thing in my life.
0: Yeah, I um, I can never fall asleep. it sucks It's just uh, it's, yeah. not, it's rough. wait so you maybe- can't fall asleep. No, it's, it's been a thing with me forever. Like it takes me hours. Uh, and I need to, I've tried to address it a few times, but, um, yeah, without boring anyone, I think that's another reason why maybe meditation would be a good habit for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's not boring at all. I, I had a very hard time sleeping at night for a long time. I think that was drinking as it put me to sleep, but yeah, it's, it's very strange, but I'll for my entire life, it's never been this way, but I'll, I'll be like mid movie and just go to sleep. And that's, like never been a thing in my life. I have always had to finish the thing or do the thing, and and now I weirdly just go to sleep.
0: Sort of related, but I want to ask you about uh, you did a piece for Broadly about uh, running. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, this is another area where I sort of have my own personal stuff. But what what's your elevator pitch for why you know people who have tendencies toward anxiety or your depression or getting stuck sure. in their heads should should exercise?
1: Well, I don't know if I have a pitch about exercise, but I have a pitch about. um, and addiction which is that I, i'm very much an addict and uh once i stopped doing drugs or drinking it, i had to find something else to be addicted to and those two things were aa meetings and, and running because both of those things exhausted me the the more i ran the more that i was tired throughout the day uh which meant that i was able to fall asleep the more i went to meetings i was emotionally tired so the pitch is do you want to fall asleep at night <laughs> do you some do some stuff on your mind and in your body can't run my um I'm actually curious to talk to you about
0: AA because I I, um, yeah, yeah. I I have no personal experience with it, but I did some reporting on it. And the theory I came across is like, people get really a bit too obsessed with like, oh, does this part of it make sense? Is it too religious? Mm-hmm. But but just the act of having a community of like-minded people with the same goals, sure. is that a big part of why it made a difference for you? Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, I, it's sort of taboo to talk about AA while well, not being in AA, but with this conversation... Uh, How do I put this? You know, In in the first few steps, it's really sort of talking about giving yourself up to a higher power. And that higher power for me is my sort of own thing that I developed. But for other people, it is God or how they understand him or whatever that higher power for them is. And I've certainly met a lot of people who hate that idea of, of giving that up. I remember the first time I walked into a meeting, this woman was like, I mean, last summer I was like in full of black pants, black hoodie, shades, and it was, you know, 90 degrees outside. <laughs> so I was like walking into a meeting sweating. And this woman was like, this is your first one, huh? And I was like, yep. And I sort of sat in the back and didn't really say anything. And eventually she she turned back to me. and was like, so we're going to get up and we're going to hold hands and we're going to say a prayer and it's going to be very cultish and weird, but just let it go because you'll feel better. And I, I just didn't care. Like I had no... I had no caring at all of what, how weird it would feel or anything. I was just like, sure, if this helps me sleep at night, I'm in. And I did it, and sure enough, I slept at night. So I kept going back and kept going back. And, you know, I have nothing but uh, good things to say about it. But for people who have, you know, a God complex, um, which I think a lot of addicts and alcoholics do, the work is really pushing that aside, maybe not letting it go, but pushing it aside so you can move forward and tackle your own stuff. I mean, there's 12 steps, and the first three are really about letting it go. Um, so you still got nine more to go after that. So, yeah, yeah. But there's
0: there's something kind of beautiful about that idea of, like, I, saying a prayer, holding hands with strangers in a circle is not sure. the kind of thing you do day by day. And we're, like, sure. we're both in an irony-soaked age, and I think we're both members of a pretty irony-soaked generation. Sure, right? of
1: course. Yeah, yeah,
0: So, like, I've had trouble with just, like, stop, stop judging everything. Stop...
1: You know, sure.
0: wondering how you look, worrying about right. it, so i could I could see the power in that is what I'm saying,
1: yeah, I mean it is very powerful and the, I mean for me with a person who i mean my ego was the side of size of the world uh, i for there's three things here um well, my ego was the the biggest thing in the world, I didn't want to let that go, and when you let's take a story architecture for the sake of this conversation um when you read a story and you're in it, chances are you're either the hero or the victim. But there's another role, and a role that I found once I got sober, which is sort of this anti-hero, antagonist type of person, where I'm not always the best person. And this is a very David Foster Wallace, this is water sort of bit here. But I'm not the the center of the world, and somebody else around me is going through their own thing. And if I'm able to see that, then I think I can be a better person in the world. And there is so many there's so many a- qualities within this is water but there is that there is that element of of being a human being and recognizing somebody around you is having a hard time so when you're holding hands with them and sitting in a you know serenity prayer type setting it's it ends up kind of being beautiful because you're able to connect with somebody else who you know is going through their thing on your left and on your right yeah i, don't, I just think it's really beautiful i feel like the more opportunities
0: we have to forget that other people are just other people or to or right. come up with reasons. They aren't really other people. The worst. Right. They are.
1: Yeah. And, and there's something very romantic about being a good person. <laughs> it <was laughs> so, so, so strange to say, but there is, I, I, do you know the serenity prayer by any chance? Is that God grant me the serenity? Uh, yeah. To the accept one, the, no,
0: except, oh sorry. Do it. Uh,
1: uh, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Uh, the three elements there is, you know, what I can do and what I can't do, and knowing the difference. And yeah, it can sound very cultish and whatever, but it's also a very human thing. I'm just like, what do I have control over? Do I have control over that thing? No. Okay, well, I'm going to go to sleep at night so tomorrow I can do better in it. And it's that. It's like that simple for me.
0: Oh, especially if you have like sort of neurotic tendencies like that. For oh, sure. Inability to recognize like, I can't I can't do anything about that I need to let it yeah. go. That, that, can, yeah, yeah. That, that can paralyze you right
1: yeah i mean I, I made an amends to somebody maybe f- six months ago and in four months later they responded, and those four months in between that could have sucked for me, but i I let it go. I mean that was the program was letting it go and, and when they made the amends i I wasn't obsessing over it. I was like, oh, that's that's nice, thank you, but that little moment of like I'm not gonna spend eight hours wrestling in my bed angry about this thing and fire off some tweets about how much I hate somebody but what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to sleep knowing that I did my best and try to do that best again tomorrow uh, and that right there is something that I had lost in my life but recently found and is really like a piece of gold like I really do feel like I have a piece of gold in my pocket
0: that that just made me think of like some of the the, the sort of maximalist cancel everyone cancel them with, with severe prejudice thing
1: sure
0: that it's also not helpful for the people doing the canceling because they're never going to get what they want which is like right. for the person who offended them to like disappear or to right. completely disavow that opinion like right it just doesn't it doesn't help anybody
1: yeah no one's going to heal your trauma it's just not going to happen like no one is ever going to heal your trauma but you and maybe it won't ever even get healed but you'll just be able to let it go i, I think musically do you ever listen to elliot smith at all
0: <laughs> that's very apropos but just, yeah, know. just like his most famous ones uh, okay
1: so you probably heard Waltz number two yes okay so like Waltz number two is sort of this perfect song for me in that uh, he's really just examining the faults in his life um, and the relationships between his mom and his father I mean the whole song is about this you know fucked up relationship with his stepdad and uh, the way he lets that go I think is really beautiful. I mean, he just emotionally lets it go in a song and anytime you can do that, that's, that's technically moving forward. It's just sort of pushing that aside a little bit. Um, and that's good work.
0: I feel like you, uh, that made made me think of a bright eyes lyric. Yeah. I'm ready like, for that. No, but I can't come back from Elliot Smith with bright eyes. That's like, yeah, the, yeah. No, I, our, I
1: want it. <laughs> what do you got?
0: It's what's so like, I've made peace with the fallen leaves. I see their same fate in my own body. I'm like, I feel like I'm 20 years old right
1: now. Oh, my God. This is the best thing ever. I can't believe I got you to quote Bright Eyes on this podcast. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> this is a disastrous first for single-minded conversations. Yeah, no, I, man, the, the poetic of emo songs of 2005-2009 that included lyrics of leaves falling from trees is probably <laughs> yeah. my favorite thing in the world. Easily uh, my favorite thing in the world.
0: So let's uh, – it's in a minute, let's take a break and then come back and talk basketball. But is there cool. – any where can people find your stuff online
1: uh do people want to find my stuff
0: online they do i'm sure okay. they do
1: okay well it's just my name it's it's robin canner uh that's pretty much everywhere um robin with a y and uh say hi or give me a call we can we can talk about things
0: yes i want i want at least one of my listeners one of my tens of millions of listeners right to call robin and then email me and tell me how it went
1: That'd be great. Well, I can record the conversation and send it back to you. It will be like a pin pal for, for conversations.
0: Yes, and then we can do a follow-up podcast about the recording and
1: no so, matter. So okay, so let's take a quick break and we'll
0: be back soon. We have a solution but to be So I've made peace with the and we're back with Robin Tanner. So Robin, I just wanted to first thank you for recognizing on Twitter a super important anniversary which is KG uh, Anything says,
1: is possible.
0: Exactly. That was that was good.
1: That
0: yeah. Was, that was solid uh very important moment in my own basketball life and a, a one of the all-time great NBA finals moments. So you're a basketball fan. You yeah. you grew up in small town Maine, but uh-huh. it's Instead of being a Celtics fan as God intended, <laughs> you were a Bulls fan. How did that happen?
1: Well, I'm a Bulls and Celtics fan. I should clarify that. Uh, uh, but uh, so my dad is from the south side of Chicago. Uh, he grew up there, um, was very much into uh, sports. And um, yeah, when when I moved to Maine, which I, I mean, I was born technically in Ohio, but I moved to Maine when I was like two years old. Uh, I quickly got into basketball. It was Really, I mean, it was the favorite thing that I ever had in my life. So, I mean, I was born in '87. Jordan was at his prime, well, at the beginning of his prime in like '91, '92, '93. So, literally at three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, like those years that I was sitting there glued watching a, a TV was was basketball. And for me, that was the triangle offense. It was Jordan, Pippen, Rodman, and Luke Longley, uh, B.J. Armstrong, Steve Kerr. I mean, all these classic Bulls players that I just I mean, I grew obsessed with, I, I, and it wasn't just watching the game, I played the game. I, I was there, you know, at the courts in, in my hometown, every waking hour that I wasn't in class, basically.
0: What was it like sort of being a fan of Jordan? Well, oh, I was going to say during his prime, but he sort of had multiple primes. With he had multiple primes, yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: I, so I played, I, 2003, I was in high school, I just started high school. And, no, I was in middle high school in two thousand three, and that was when he was sort of leaving in the Wizard's World, and it was incredible. I he was just, you know, he was number one, and I have all of these memories of my life of watching him. I remember, I remember the last shot. I remember being in the living room when I was watching that. I remember uh, the ninety five series where Orlando beat Jordan when he was wearing forty five. And, like, classic cancel culture story is Nick Anderson. Do you know Nick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, classic cancel culture story is Nick Anderson missing the four free throws and losing for the Magic. Uh, But the series before that, he had actually stole the ball from Michael Jordan and won the game because of it. So uh, that whole arc of him and Nick Anderson and Jordan was, you know, a thing that I really enjoyed. The way Jordan shit-talked, I just loved. And it was such a part of... Uh, growing up in Maine, this very small town, playing basketball was, you know, this very and one, YouTube before YouTube clips of like basketball players, you know, doing the most insane shit. Uh, oh, did yeah.
0: you? Were you a White men Can't Jump fan growing
1: up? I, I never saw it to be. I oh, mean, I if you it, like it's
0: basketball, like, shit talking. Yeah, no, I saw mean, it,
1: okay. yeah, I saw it a, a couple years ago. I went through this Woody Harrelson phase, and I saw it, but. I mean, the first basketball film I saw was the Omar Epps Love and Basketball one, yeah. which is like classic, beautiful basketball film. Uh, yeah, Omar Epps is number one in, in my book.
0: It's sort of funny how like Phil Jackson has gone from being the Zen master, know. Like, genius tactician, to now people are like. I do like kinda, his Twitter.
1: Yeah, well, no, but also,
0: like, the game. it seems like the game has sort of passed him by a little bit. Yeah, He's like this, yeah. um... Well, I guess this is true of, like, any, what, discipline or craft. Like, sure. things change, and not everyone can keep up with it, maybe.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the triangle offense performs as well as it did back then. <laughs> no. Uh, exactly. But I would be very fascinated if a team pulled it off. I mean, I, to be honest, I think the Denver Nuggets, which is a team I don't really like, because Jokic just drives me insane, um and in a really good way but it does drive me insane but that team itself is really slated to take on the triangle offense with him as as a center so yeah i mean i'm just really really into basketball
0: (laughs) why does why does he drive you insane because he's just this like big lumbering hulk of man meat and the league hasn't had that for a while and i like it
1: yeah he definitely reminds me of Yao Ming, just bulkier uh I think well, there's a couple things working against Jokic. One, he's young, and I just feel like he's going to be a little bit better when he, when he gets stronger. Two, I just don't really like the Denver Nuggets. Like I've never been hyped on the Nuggets. Three, I just was mad that he was giving the the Trailblazers a run for their money. Yeah. Um, it, I just wanted Portland Trailblazers to get to the Western Conference Finals so much, but that four overtime game where he played like 56 minutes, I was sitting at home like on my couch being like, I can't stand Jokic, but damn that's respect like he's like he's he's seven footer and he's you know he played the most minutes of anyone uh so i i got i got massive respect for him even though i can't stand him same for james harden i don't i don't really like harden or the rockets but i got respect because of his skill and when he got hit in the eye he still played his heart out so yeah i got i got respect for that
0: it's uh it's hard not to respect Harden, even if you don't enjoy his style there's just the the effortlessness of his game is just incredible sure what do you think of the potentially offensive to some idea <laughs> that LBJ has supplanted? LeBron has supplanted MJ as the goat.
1: Okay, do you think this?
0: I'm I'm actually somewhat sympathetic to it, but I think it's complicated. But I want your take first.
1: It it bothers me. I hated LeBron James out of the gate. The same thing that Jokic was cocky and big, but. When LeBron did the decision, there was nothing more that made me more angry. Like The decision drove me insane. I was so angry at it uh, when he went to, to the Heat. And over the years, I've just grown to love him so much as, as a player. Um, incredibly fond of him getting that title, title in Cleveland, even though it's hard to admit it, but that was a fluke win. for Oh, it was, the was incredible. You knew uh, Dray-
0: Draymond and everything.
1: Yeah, it, it was a fluke win. But that doesn't make the fact that when he got that ball and he was emotional, that wasn't the most beautiful thing in the world. I I really wasn't a massive fan when he was on the Heat, even though, I mean, a big reason for that was because he took Ray Allen and Ray Allen was critical in the Celtics. And Allen sort of turned his back on the Celtics. Old beef, but still near (laughs) my heart. But LeBron now, as a human being, I think he's incredible. I think that the work he's done with his school is incredible. I, I had—I don't think he's even remotely near Michael Jordan as far as a player.
0: Uh, but, wait, before you continue on that, I just realized there should be a term when there's
1: beef that you still have years later. Shouldn't yeah. that be jerky? Because it's like, <laughs> <deserved>. <laughs> yeah, like beef jerky. Like I, there's, there's, there's no jerky on it. Uh.
0: So you've got some jerky when it comes to the decision into Ray Allen.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, you you got it too as a Celtics fan. The Ray Allen thing's got to drive you insane.
0: Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't happy to see him go, but that that yeah. team had like really weird chemistry and dynamic issues, uh, especially with like Rondo, who I don't for think sure. I ever liked. Um,
1: oh, I liked Rondo. I liked Rondo. Oh, no,
0: no, I mean, I loved him as a player, but I think he he's sort of a little bit Kyrie-ish in terms of having for like, sure. a really mercurial personality.
1: Totally, totally. So yeah, I got love for the Celtics. I got love for Ray Allen. A little jerky on, on his fact that he went into the heat. I'm also frustrated he never got a... I, I'm not even answering your question. Okay, back to LeBron versus Michael Jordan. <laughs> Michael Jordan is number one. Uh, the rings are, is, to me, all that matters. Uh, LeBron's a great individual player, but Jordan knew how to craft a team, and, and that is why he'll always be number one. LeBron's I can, I, just not getting six rings.
0: I can understand the argument. I just... I, I think there's... Maybe this is too much of a hot take, but like sure. you put even prime Jordan in the. I league I feel like now. this is
1: the least of the hot take that we've said on the podcast. Oh, exactly so
0: right. <laughs> <It's not> that <laughs> No, but I think like the 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 sheer amount of talent in the league right now, yeah. and um, I I just think it's hard to compare between eras, and I For I sure. feel like people are too hard on LeBron that he, you know, he he took some really bad teams to many totally. finals, which totally. is not an easy thing to do.
1: And, and had LeBron had good front offices and good teams, it, right. it would be a different conversation. Yeah. Uh, I, I recently rewatched Moneyball. Uh, have you seen that? Yeah, I
0: watched it on a plane like last year, actually. Yeah, yeah.
1: and sort of how Billy Bean crafted that team. Like if, if LeBron had a front office on, on that regard, first, Billy Bean probably wouldn't have recruited LeBron James, but if he did, and then he had the extras around him, it, it would be a different front office. Um, I feel bad, the, the sort of best front office that james has had is is with the heat which is insane to me but it's true um but i'm glad he got one six he's never he's never going to get six rings he'll never have he'll never have the iconic moments because when i think of michael jordan i think of him holding the ball crying i think of him you know the shot on elo i think of all these classic nba finals winning moments and for the most part, I really have won for LeBron. I have the I have the Cavs. I don't have him holding the ball. I don't have anything. I just have him with the Cavs. One. So as far as iconic moments go, moments go, in, in the championship, it's just it's Jordan for me. All
0: right, I'm not I'm not I'm not sure. I, the I'm I would even make the argument that you partially convinced me is what I'm saying. I don't, okay. Okay. I feel like if you choose anyone at bet MJ, it's tricky. I just think I think yeah. people are a little bit biased by. Sure. There will never be another Michael Jordan in terms of right. what Michael Jordan was. And, right,
1: exactly, yeah.
0: You know, I wasn't as close. To, I was I was always a Celtics fan only. Sure. Just like, Sure. even in his late prime, just like those mid-range turnarounds that were just completely 100%. unstoppable. It was incredible the way he refined his game.
1: And that's why I like Kobe, too. I mean, Kobe was so good at refining his game. I, I think for, for the next few years for LeBron, it will really be if he – uh, figures out how to take that 15, 17 foot jumper. Um, but Jordan Kobe figured. I mean, I'm such a big Kobe Bryant fan, but those two, yeah. Do you, you know that? Hit,
0: well, I hate him because I hated him right. way yeah, up yeah. But also because he destroyed Jason Tatum's game, apparently.
1: Wait, really? I didn't even hear about this. Yeah,
0: the, uh, the theory is that the lack of sophomore year development or second year development on Jason Tatum's part is because he worked out with Kobe over the summer and then he developed mm-hmm. all Kobe's, like, low percentage shot bad habits. That's what Whoa. Celtics, That's what Celtics fans believe have happened.
1: Holy shit, I did not hear that. Uh
0: it's very sad.
1: Yeah, I mean Tatum's number one. I hope he I hope he becomes a franchise player.
0: I think he could. He's just too He's like he seems to have all the pieces. I don't know. This year was sort of a mess, but Yeah. Anything else either basketball related or otherwise you want to add or do you have do you have any do you want to say something to all the people who are now going to cancel you? Any oh, anything right. else at all before we end?
1: Well, you know what? If you're if you were angry about this podcast at the beginning, you probably haven't made it to the end. Um, and if you have, I, I hope you realize that we were able to have a human conversation. Doing this podcast was not an endorsement of everything that you, Jesse, have done, but it's more. It, and you know you doing it for me isn't an endorsement on on my side um it's literally just two people having a good conversation about the internet and basketball and honestly with everything going on in the world isn't that like not the worst thing in the world
0: it is not and uh yeah i appreciate you doing it it was it was very nice to meet you in person and sure. every time i've like actually i haven't had that many situations where i've met someone online who i'd had yeah. any kind of beef with um online. no jerky
1: no jerky There's just no beef. jerky but
0: yeah. no it's just it's like entirely different and um sure. Yeah, maybe at some point we could talk about the, the stuff we disagree about. But in the meantime, sure. the, the moral is human conversation is good. Thank you very much for coming out. Let's do it again sometime. Thank you. That'd
1: be awesome. you.